Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullick. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fullick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to COVID, business continuity, resilience, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Based on that comment, today's guest did just that. She was watching a previous episode uh, with Catherine McEwen, I believe, yeah, um, that's right. who was also recommended by somebody else, Tammy Horton. So we've got a nice little chain going here. We're going to today. We're going to talk about radical knowledge management, and this is something uh, I hadn't heard of before. So I'm really interested in learning about this, and I'd like to welcome today Stephanie Barnes. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex. I'm really happy to be here. And uh, welcome to to being another link in this chain that uh, we've got going here. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, this is really exciting. Let's see how far we can ke- keep this going. <laughs> yes. Hopefully somebody sees this and steps up and uh, uh, you know, wants to be on the show as well. We've got a nice, interesting yeah. flow going here. Yeah. Now, I know you and I have had some conversations uh, back and forth, so I know a little bit about you. But for our global listeners and viewers that are literally all over the world, Can you take a moment and tell us about yourself, what you do, and how you got into what you do? Sure. Um, I'm a Canadian based in Berlin, so let me start with that part. I am a knowledge management consultant, but I'm a knowledge management consultant with a twist because I'm an artist, a self-taught artist. So I started bringing that into my consulting practice um, uh, 12 years ago or so. Um, Although I've been a a knowledge management consultant for 20 years with an undergrad in accounting and an MBA in IT. So I get all these people with their numbers and their data and want all the the data I get. I get the number crunching part of it. And I can tell you, though, from my own personal experience that adding some balance and some creativity and some arts in really does bring balance um, and resilience to to our work and to our lives. And so. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's probably enough about me. (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, Stephanie, as part of um, me getting up to speed on what uh, uh, radical knowledge management was, sent me a whole pile of articles. So uh, thanks for all of that. I did read them all. Um, They're all stacked up beside me here. Um, We're going to talk about that and some of the things that I'm going to ask you today, I pulled out of those um, articles. So I'm looking forward to this chat. So why don't I start with the most obvious question that everybody is probably thinking about out there. What is radical knowledge management? Well, radical knowledge management is the radical idea um, that, well, let me not start with radical. Um, I'll get to why it's radical in a moment. Um, Knowledge management is about learning. Um, It's, you know, helping us have the information we need to do our jobs, um, helping us cope and and know what we need to know and share it with 
others in our organization or other stakeholders could be outside of our organization as well. And so, um, as I said in my little blurb at the beginning, um, I started painting about uh, 2011 and thought, this is really fun, A, but how can I bring this into the my consulting practice? Because I was self-employed by that point. And, and I'm like, let's, let's start experimenting. So I started experimenting and notice the shift in people's energies and their engagement in the workshop that I was doing. I was just doing the same workshops that I had always done, um, requirements analysis, strategy, you know, whatever, you name it, whatever the workshop was. I was doing these little creative interventions, little scribble drawings and things, and people were just more engaged. I got better answers. Um, I started doing a little activity, same little activity at the end of the workshops, and they were happy to go back to their desks and face this 300 emails that had come in while we were in the half day workshop. Right. And I thought, wow, this is, this is incredible. I'm going to keep doing this. And, and so I did. And so it eventually kind of, and it eventually became radical knowledge management. I called it creative knowledge management for a long time. And it didn't really speak to a lot of people because they thought they knew what creativity meant. And they thought creativity was, you know, not for them, it was a waste of time. It wasn't important for our businesses and our organizations. And, you know, and I was just not, you know, this was not an, an interesting approach for them. And then the pandemic came. And all of a sudden, people were like, oh, this what we're doing isn't working. We need to work differently. People are tired, Zoom fatigue, all of that stuff. It also gave me some time to do some additional research and digging into to some of the ideas and concepts that I'd come up with or, or noticed in my own sort of impractic, in, um, informal practices or my the thread I kept pulling from 2011. And, and that's when I call, started calling it Radical KM. And radical is about going back to the roots of how we learn, which is why I started off saying knowledge management is about learning. And radical is about going back to our roots. And so going back to the roots of how we learn and how we learn is being playful and creative and iterative. All of these things that we learn by tapping into our inner artist. And so radical knowledge management is about basically being whole again and, and bringing our creativity in. It's not, everywhere people get you know a little concerned sometimes when I start talking about painting because we do paint in my sessions when we have time and oh I'm not an artist but it's not about the end product it's about the process and so this is where the resilience stuff comes in too is that it opens opens space up it lets us reflect it gives us a, a moment to breathe and look at things differently and say oh you know, we've been doing it the same way for 30 years. Maybe it's time we reconfigure things and, and look at things differently and have a different solution. So that's where radical knowledge management comes from. Well, I have so many questions. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll start off with the, the first one, because I just know there are people out there asking, what on earth does painting have to do with knowledge management or resilience how, how i'm sure they are probably struggling with trying to connect those dots because it is radical oh, absolutely <laughs> um, and it's it's about knowledge creation so when i'm using painting in 
my workshops and my the sessions that I, I lead. Um, usually I would do the painting in, you know, four, four half days or four, two full days if we were doing it in person. Um, it gets broken up differently when I'm doing it remotely. So it that kind of difference, but it's a bigger intervention. But it's about helping people, um, A, develop some confidence, because a lot of people have really bad experiences at school with with art. Certainly I did. Mm -hmm. I had a teacher in eighth grade criticize my perspective on, you know, this perspective exercise we were doing. That was the last time I ventured anywhere near any kind of art materials, you know, until I started did this leadership workshop in 2011. And so giving them a, a safe space to play with some art material, stuff that they haven't played with since they were kids, may have some bad memories. Um, in the safe space just lets people go, oh, I can put some paint on the canvas and it, it's okay. You know, I do non-representational things. So it's not a still life. It's not trying to look like an apple in a bowl or anything like that. It's just <laughs> put some paint on the canvas, use whatever tools you would like, use whatever paint paint color you would like tap into your intuition listen to your your internal voice don't try and go oh well what does the what does the computer say I should use what does the AI say I should use no tap into yourself what color do you feel like using um, and so it helps them look at things differently and open up different questions so it's transferable um, I have used this, the painting exercise um, with coaching clients when they're trying to figure out when they've got this mess of things around them, they can't decide what they want to do. You know, they're at some kind of transition point in their or transformation point in their lives. And so we paint it. And through the painting process over a number of weeks, um, they get some insights into what is important to them. What do they want to be doing? What does make them happy? Um, and it's it's just through this reflection, this process of reflection that that this kind of transformation happens. Um, so in the, the, so it fits into knowledge management because it it I would say it's a step before what typically gets incorporated into an ideation process. You know, we do ideation, we come in and go, okay, everybody, we're gonna um, brainstorm answers to this question. And we start off really directed right away. And so it's a step before that to say, hold on, this is what we're going to do in the workshop, but we're just going to shift some energy, open things up, get our, get our minds out of the boxes that we're in right now. And then we'll do, and then we'll be more directed. But right now we're just going to open up and see what happens. That must be hard though, because uh, you mentioned brainstorming. So it's a perfect example for people who want to be creative but don't know how because they will attend a session a brainstorming session okay every throw out ideas throw everything on the table you know everything's a go and as soon as the first suggestion comes out you've got the the leader usually the leader or somebody anyway i shouldn't just point a finger at, at the the leader but somebody in that room will immediately shoot it down you know you you've barely started <laughs> you're shooting people down already <laughs> So it's got to be tough for people to be able to um, take those blinders off or, the, you know, sometimes I guess you could describe it as having chains on, you know, to, to actually do what, you know, they want to do. Yeah. Well, and so the, the painting kind of 
adds an element, I would say, of team building into the, the session, a bit of fun, um, relaxes everybody, sort of takes some of the pressure off. Um, when I do my brainstorming sessions, especially when I'm doing them digitally, to prevent some of that, you know, A, jumping to solutions too quickly or shooting each other's answers down, is to let everybody do their own brainstorming for two or three minutes, five minutes, whatever, you know, fits with the, the schedule of the meeting um, and let them fill in as many stickies as, as they want, no input from anybody else. And then we'll start through, you know, a group, you know, because sometimes when you see then the sticky that says, I don't know, <laughs> the interface should be blue, um, you know, they'll say, oh, I didn't think about the interface. And it'll trigger a bunch of other things from from other people. And so then you can start some um, synergy, you know, of, of developing ideas and, and further expanding, but start from that base of, of everybody working on their own brainstorming. It helps the introverts like me <laughs> in the me. sessions too. Yep, yeah. <laughs> it helps us get, you know, get our ideas out there without anybody else, you know, taking over the floor because those extroverts do like to corner the, the floor and, and talk and hear themselves talk. So <laughs> it gives us, it gives us a fighting chance. <laughs> Nobody send me emails about that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> you do in one of your articles, uh, actually in a couple, you reference this and I, I, you've kind of touched on it, but I was wondering if you could go a little bit deeper on this question. Um, you talk about people in, in general, having the creativity educated out of us. And that's the quote, edu educated out of us. What did you mean by that? So that actually comes from um, someone else and I've just drawn a blank on his name, um, but he, uh, YouTube, he's the most watched YouTube um, or not YouTube, um, Ted talk. Um, Ken, Oh, I'll overthink of it, hopefully by the end of this. Um, but anyway, it's, it's the most, he's the most watched TED Talk. Um, and the idea, what that means is we go through education. And when we're young, when we're two, three, four, five years old, we're creative, like crazy. And there's, there's studies on this. There's a, Na a big um, NASA study on this that they did longitudinal that um, studied a cohort of children over, over. I don't know, 30 or 40 years, a long period of time. Um, and they, the kids were really creative when they're five years old. And as they progress through schools, they get increasingly less creative. <laughs> so their mm -hmm. amount of creativity went, went down. So by the time they graduated, when they're 17, 18, they're like 10% creative, where they were 90% creative when they were five years old. Um, and then by the time they're in the workforce, they're even lower. They're five percent um, once they're adults and they're they're in the, the workforce. So we've lost all this creativity because we're so focused on getting a good mark. So we get into a good university, so we get a good job, so that we can you know accumulate all this stuff that we may or may not need, <laughs> um, you know. And and we're our creativity is just educated out of us because we're told it's not it's not it's not useful it's not necessary only only a few lucky people that are artists you know they're it's okay for them but for the rest of us you know it's just a it's a hobby it's not important it's not necessary you can get through life without it and you can but it's a lot less fun 
Well, it comes back to to bite organizations and, and communities, for that matter, and families later on anyway, because at some point you're in a meeting or you're just something and people start saying, we need to think outside of the box. You know, you, that everybody says that at some point, you know, yes. and yet from what you're describing by then, we, how can I think outside of the box when, you know, I've got, I've just gone through 20, 30 years of not really being allowed or supported to think outside of the box. Yep. 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 You've just spent 20 years being getting comfortable in that box and learning about the box. And now somebody wants you to think outside of the box, (laughs) but the arts have this huge impact on our brain and on our lives. And yeah. And we're really have done ourselves a disservice by, by saying that it's not important because it really, really is. So. Yeah. And that would impact, uh, I'm I'm guessing things like uh, decision-making, um, uh, our own resilience type thing, because we're not seeing, we're not open to those different uh, perspectives or creativity in, in our thinking anymore. Yeah, exactly. It, in fact, hmm. it impacts our mental health, our wellness, our healing, our, our, um, the team building, there's a team building aspect to it and a community aspect. Um, there's learning. So this ties into the KM stuff. Um, sustainable mindset, sustainable leadership skills, you know, that ability to see the big picture and make bigger, better decisions, understand the interconnectedness of things and go, oh, but if I take that, you know, resource and use it all up, what, what are the consequences of that? I have to dispose of it. Um, Maybe it's toxic or what my processing is toxic. How do I really dispose of it? Whereas a lot of what happens now is, oh, oh, well, there's lots of whatever this is, who cares? Well, no, we need to care. And we have, uh, so tapping into our inner artist helps us see that bigger picture and the interconnectedness and go, oh, but, okay, we need that, that resource, but we need to be able to deal with it on the back end. And so tapping into our inner artist helps us have those skills and and see the bigger picture. But that's got to be a big challenge, though, because it's not just employees um, where that's uh, being attributed to, you know, the lack of creativity. Management would have gone through the exact same thing, you know, or vice presidents or executive C-suite, you know, they would have gone through the whole thing. So everybody would be outside Oh, sorry. They would be inside that box having, even though they want to think outside that box. Absolutely. And management and leadership and CEOs have been rewarded for being inside that box and performing really well inside that box, you know, and Mm -hmm. yeah, this is a problem, you know, and I hear um, about programs trying to reintroduce arts and make the arts a bigger part of the education system, which is great for the kids. But what about all of us who are in the workforce who are done our formal education? And so that's what radical knowledge management is about, is about trying to bring that into the workplace for those of us who are outside of our formal education years and, and need to reactivate it. Um, and because it's there, it's, dor- it's just dormant. So, you know, having a bit of fun and, and doing some scribble drawings or doing, you know, some painting if we have the time, then 
this is this is a good thing and we react reactivate things and then we can make those sustainable decisions and, and see the bigger picture and the impact of what we're doing. Well, what do you say to those leaders or employees, anybody really, who are, think of it and how did I put it with your uh, note to you? Oh, that lovey hippie type of feeling, see it as something like that, right? <laughs> oh, that, that's like trippy something from the 60s or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Because it is a change, obviously, you know, being being creative to make better decisions in your organization to be help you become resilient and you know new product designs or marketing ideas, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. And to them I say, give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) It's an experiential thing. And I do have I have lots of people say to me, oh, no, it sounds nice. And that's nice. You know, there was a, a book published a few weeks ago, a month ago, a couple of months ago, um, called Our Brain on Your Brain on Art. And there's all this neuroscience about the benefits of your brain on art, I'm doing art. And, and so, you know, I love that book, um, because it provides all the science. And, and so it helps me come back against those people who go, oh, no, we're not doing that hippie arty thing. No, no, no. And I can say, no, but look at the neuroscience. You know, this is good for your brain. And here's all the things that it does. So when it sounds like it's this magic panacea that fixes everything, it does. And here's the neuroscience that backs it up. Um, so this is, I talk about this book all the time. <laughs> the author should be paying me. <laughs> <laughs> But it's so true, you know, and, and it's so lovely to have all that research put in one place so that I can just, like I say, hold it up and say, look at this, this is, you need to read this. If you don't believe how, what the benefits of this are, read the book. So. Uh, One question before we we take a break. Uh, How do you deal with the fact that people are working from home in nowadays you know uh, many of us are where this might have worked a little bit better if everybody was sitting in a uh, a meeting room and you know could paint together and you're you're there leading the workshop how how do you go about trying to do that same thing with all of us at home now oh it works great i would say the same it's not quite the same because when we're co-located in the same room I can walk around behind people and look over their shoulders and go, you know, so what are you doing? You know, and, and see some of that body language stuff, which is nice and useful certainly, but, but I can do almost the same thing on zoom or whatever we're using. Um, and just people have to hold their paintings up to the, the camera. So, you know, I give them the list because they like to, uh, most people like to support their local businesses. So I give them the list of art supplies to go and get from their local art store um, and, and get them to prepare their kitchen table or wherever they're going to do the exercise. And, and we do it, you know, zoom is there off to the side or, you know, pointing at that at them. And we have the conversations the same way that we have the conversations in the room. People are anxious about what color. So we talk about how to pick the color, what tool, you know, how they should put the, the paint on. Um, we have the, the conversations honestly are exactly the same. Um, so yeah, the, like I said, the only thing that's different is 
I can't walk behind people <laughs> and see what they're doing. Um, <laughs> but otherwise, it's the same. And the same with the the little the shorter activities. They work. They work the same, you know. Well, just about the same. But they're pen and paper, and everybody has a pen and paper, and you know we do the scribble drawings. Some of the improv activities that I do um, need to need a little bit of thought, just because everybody's when you're co-located, you can see the people in the circle. So you know what the order is, but on Zoom or like I say, whatever your your media, whatever your teleconferencing software is, um, you need to to say, okay, Alex, you're one, Stephanie, you're two, Joanne, you're three, John, you're four. So you know what the order is, um, and then you can do the the improv, you know, the one word at a time or you know, whatever the improv game is, um, knowing that who's who's the order. So. Most of it just takes a little bit of thought to adjust the logistics for it, but it all it all works. We have a great time on 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 things. All my classes now are are um, remote or virtual. So nice. Yeah. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking about radical knowledge management with Stephanie Barnes. And I do have a few more questions for you about this. And uh, we will be right back. Want to see what Voice America is up to behind the scenes? Follow us on TikTok at Voice America Talk Radio. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Tune in for And Security for All, hosted by Kim Hakem. Each week, we look into a different aspect of cybersecurity, which is important to know for anyone who is involved with the Internet daily, which is probably all of us. We take the technical jargon and make it easier to understand while helping you to identify weaknesses and issues in your own cybersecurity and fix them now. And Security for All is broadcast live every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Stephanie Barnes about radical knowledge management. Stephanie, great first segment. Lots of good information there and how RKM can help us with our creativity in our offices. Um, One of the questions I did have for you is, those people, let's say, that have gone through um, uh, a, a workshop and they are trying to let their creativity loose, but then they go into a meeting room. How can they carry what they've learned in a, a creativity workshop, an RKM workshop, and carry that into the meeting rooms? You know, when you know that 
you know, none of those people have gone through it. So how how can we try and, you know, what little things can we do to, you know, start showing that, hey, we've learned things? Yeah, well, and I always say start small. So, you know, and especially if you're just doing an hour, you know, your hour team meeting status update or whatever the, the purpose of the meeting is, you're not going to do painting. You're yeah. going to do some little quick activity um, that takes up five minutes. I will tell you it's worth the five minutes to improve the engagement and, and how people are feeling in, in the meet, in the meeting. So I, you know, I, I give people a little hand or a little booklet of some um, short activities that they can do that take five to 10 minutes. But one of the, the shortest one is a guided visualization that takes three minutes and just helps calm and center everybody. It works well on in person. It works well in a remote or a virtual meeting situation. They started off um, just to say, okay, we're here for this, you know, the purpose of this meeting. Um, I'd like to just bring everybody into the room and invite you to do this guided visualization for, for a few minutes, just because we're all so busy and that'll help calm and center us before we get into the meat of the, the meeting. And so just do that. It's as easy as that. Start small. And the, the hardest part of it honestly, is the stories that we tell ourselves um, that, oh, I can't do that. I can't do that. My boss is in the meeting. Well, your boss is human too. <laughs> the CEO is human too. And is probably jumping from meeting to meeting to meeting, just like everybody else, possibly more so. And, and so might actually appreciate three minutes of visualizing a flower, you know, <laughs> and things happening to the flower, uh, you know, everybody we're human we we forget that um sometimes i hear a lot lately about remembering our humanity and so this is takes three minutes um to remember our humanity to give us all a bit of space to breathe so start small don't worry about this the story tell i tell people to tell them it's an experiment um that you went to this crazy class and this you know crazy person <laughs> suggested you do this and and you just wanted to try it out and see what happens if people hate it, then you don't have to do it again. I have never, in all the times I've been doing it, I've been doing it now um, regularly as a routine part of my meetings for six years. I've never had anybody get upset about it. That's kind of a, a team building exercise as well. It is. There is. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a team building aspect to it that that creating community that that camaraderie that we're we're in this together and 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 i encourage you know reflecting on it if anybody wants i never make anybody reflect if they don't want to share but oftentimes people will will say will comment oh that was so nice i've been running around like crazy all day and that was so nice just to catch my breath for three minutes and and not feel guilty because it's part of the team meeting and so, yeah, and I've had, I had one woman one time in a, in a session, she had lost her mom. This was during the pandemic, early months of the pandemic. She'd lost her mom um, in the early months of the, the pandemic. And she hadn't been able to sort of let go of this idea that she'd lost her mom and her mom wasn't there anymore. Completely understandable. And I didn't know any of this until afterwards, but we did this guided vis visualization. And she said, you know, that's the first time I've caught a bit of, of respite, a bit of a break from these obsessive thoughts. Um, and I'm like, wow, this 
it's just a silly little, and I say silly, but it's these little things, these little interventions can have this huge impact because it gave her after four months, you know, gave her a couple of minutes of, of just breathing and, and being able to, to just be um, rather than feeling upset about her mom being gone. So, you know, you don't know what people are going through. So, so doing these little things can have a big impact um, on, on people. So you, you said the word interventions there, and you talk about something else in your articles about radical knowledge uh, management, and that was art-based interventions. So is that the what you're talking about? Yes. Using yeah. these creativities Art- to do that? Yeah. Arts-based mm-hmm. interventions, as a, that's what I found. They're generally called in the literature. They can be called, be any kind of thing. Uh, arts-based obviously um, but they're just an arts-based the activity so it can be drawing could be photography could be improv could be um, some other theater or musical um, experience can be small little most of a lot of stuff I do is little five ten minute things I do do painting interventions that are bigger that we've you know mentioned already that take you know do over a series of days and there are bigger theater I've I've read case studies about um theater bringing theater people and directors and in for team building and strategy sessions and and for a week-long um sort of team building and and workshop and um, i wouldn't ever lead something like that i don't have a theater background i'm not comfortable with that the painting i'm good with um but if if it's that kind of intervention then i would be going out and looking asking for somebody from with a theater background to come in and do that kind of intervention but but yeah, small or big, all kinds of different, whatever, whatever arts kind of activity you can imagine, that's what that refers to. So how, with, with organizations out there struggling with decision-making and struggling with trying to make their operations uh, resilient or trying to make their leadership, you know, some, some sort of resilient, you know, on, on a journey of resilience, how... And where should some of these organizations start? You know, we I, I can't imagine the CEO showing up with a bunch of art supplies saying, this is what we're doing. But maybe that is. I don't I don't know. You know, so maybe what are some of the should. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I you'd really throw your uh, C suite for a loop if the CEO showed up and did that going, what? What? But then again, maybe they'd enjoy it too. So how, how can you get started? You know, because um Let's face it. Sometimes the CEO, she's also uh, you know in charge of hiring <laughs> as well, you know, and for small companies. But the problems are still the same: decision making and all that kind of stuff. So, how can they go about you know maybe making some of these small chains and implementing some of the things that you've talked about? How can they get started? Where can they get started? There's actually a lot of stuff on the the internet when you start looking for it and as I have discovered once I once I had the right terminology which is why I use arts-based interventions and um, but once you you start to to google there's lots of stuff out there and there's lots of stuff that you can can sort of leverage and repurpose stuff that's done with kids stuff that's um art therapy um, although I'm very careful to say I'm not a trained art therapist the work isn't that that I do is not art therapy but some of the activities that that you might find in a, the art therapy books are useful activities, you know, so I use the, those for, to give me inspiration um, 
to, to use in the workshops, but, but generally, um, and I've found the more I've gotten into this, there are lots of people working in this area. They may not call it radical knowledge management. Radical knowledge management is my thing. Um, that's the name that I put on it. Um, but there are lots of people that are working in the space in the intersection of arts and business. Um, and that, so there's, like you say, just do some, a bit of Googling around that and you'll find artists and different, of different backgrounds. So there's musicians and there are theater people and dancers um, that are doing work in this, this space. Um, that's and that's part of what makes it so exciting, the, the variety of, of it all. But start small. You know, I'm talking about all these dancers and theater and music and, and things that which gets intimidating, um, which I totally understand. But start small. Start with these some of these little icebreaker games. Um, the scribble. I do scribble drawings a lot. That's my my sort of go to. They take five minutes. You need a pen and a paper, and and it's literally, literally scribbling. So close your eyes, scribble on the piece of paper, open your eyes, add some stuff to it for a couple of minutes you're done, you know, and it's amazing the shift that that happens. So I think a lot of times we make it harder. We think that it's harder than it needs to be. This really isn't. It's just about getting people out of their boxes, as we were talking about before. It's about opening up some space for reflection and for looking at problems differently. Um, some organizations I'm talking to and 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 others that I'm observing are setting up studio spaces in their offices now that we're doing hybrid work or, and remote work, um, creating these studio spaces in their offices in this unused office space so that when people are in the office, they have this space to go to to collaborate and work together, do these team building events and activities and and solve problems that they that are harder to solve online or that they just can't you know they need to be together to hash things out and and work through things and in there's a limit to how much time you can spend on a zoom call so to have you know eight hours in a room or 10 hours in a room together collaborating and working on, on problem solving using these kinds of materials is is um important and, and critical and and something that organizations are doing. And then with the studio spaces, it makes it worthwhile. Nobody wants to go back into the office just to sit on a Zoom call. Um, Nobody want to do that. And you don't want to do that when you're at home. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so if, if people are going to have to come back into the office, make it worth their while, you know, give them the space to collaborate and prototype and problem solve in the, the studio. So now some of the, the case studies and things I, I reference in, in the articles talk about problems that had existed for 10 years that they came, the, the two teams in question, the one case I'm thinking about um, came into the, the studio for a week, solved this problem that they'd been struggling with for 10 years. Somebody needs to tell me the ROI. I have an undergrad in accounting. I don't know how to figure out the ROI on that, <laughs> but there's a pretty decent ROI on that. And this is the thing. We look at the, the arts-based stuff and go, oh, it's, but it's used to solve problems that we can't solve any other way. Because it gets us thinking differently. It gets us out of that analysis mode and thinking it's got to be A, then B, then C. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, it's not. Because maybe it's A, then Z, then M, and 
two, <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's a totally different path. So it, the art space stuff gets us out of that, that box thinking and helps us do something else. Well, it, it, I guess it would help change that we've, we do it that way because we've always done it that way. So you're exactly. always going to get the same results and now you're, and you're complaining about the results, but you're still doing everything the same way. Yep. Yep. Einstein's it was Einstein said is the definition of insanity, of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> but sums it up. <laughs> you, you mentioned something there, um, team events. Before the pandemic, sometimes there were team events or, uh, where uh, people went to a restaurant or they went to a uh, uh, an adult uh, arcade, you know, where where adults go to. Is it now that now that we post pandemic, a lot of those things aren't occurring anymore because we're working at home. So is this? I don't want to say a substitute, but is this another way where that can fill that gap now? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's another, it's a, yeah, it's another gap. It's another way to, to fill that, that void and create the, the bond between or among the, the team members, because yeah, everybody's working remote people mostly, you know, with some exceptions and some caveats, certainly like working remotely, like not having to sit in traffic for hours every day, um, like having that time back with their family and their friends, understandably, but it is important for knowledge transfer and a whole bunch of other things that we have these relationships and these trust bonds with our colleagues. And so doing some of this stuff remotely or virtually, the um, painting or whatever it is, is another way to, to build some of that trust um, in a remote mm. or hybrid environment. So for sure. Building that trust, does that also increase our um ability to communicate new ideas absolutely absolutely if i trust you i'm i'm much more willing to say you know what i just had a crazy idea what do you think of this whereas if i don't know if i trust you or not i'm gonna probably keep what i think might be a crazy idea to myself because i'm afraid of being judged mm. so i know absolutely building that that trust is is key and it's important for our resilience, our, our ability to bounce back from, from things and, and to pick ourselves up when, when the going gets rough. You know, we're social beings. Um, we were meant to be in, in groups and be together in those, those trusted environments. And so, yeah, now we're all in our homes. Um, and, and that's, you know, mostly a good thing. Um, but we need to still have those bonds. So, so doing these kinds of things is a way of, of building that up and creating that. Well, I, I know from working from home a lot more, um, I've gotten to know my neighbors a lot more <laughs> where I, where I've lost in the office, so to speak, I've gained with my neighbors. Yeah. we see each other. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing. I trust them a lot more and we watch each other now. So, you know, it, it, it does make a change now. Yeah. Um, we have about uh, six minutes uh, left, but I want to get your thoughts on something else you and I touched on, and that's artificial intelligence. What are your <laughs> thoughts on that? Uh, I don't think six minutes is enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
It's funny because my first article, my first radical KM article was published in a journal, in an AI journal. And, and one of the reviewers came back and was like, you don't even mention artificial intelligence in your, your article and you're publishing in an AI journal. What are, you know, what, what are you thinking? You know, you got to mention AI. And so I added in a couple of sentences in, in the article and said, this is a contrarian view on AI because knowledge is, is, is human. And so AI is nice. It's a nice tool and it's a useful tool for some things, but knowledge is humans. We are humans, regardless of where we are in the hierarchy, we're all humans and we need to remember that and treat ourselves and each other like humans. Humans aren't meant to work 24 seven, you know, give us some change our oil you know, once every 60,000 kilometers or whatever it is. It's been too long since I owned a car, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, it's no, and we need to sleep. We need to eat. We need to socialize. Um, and, and AI. So yeah, I'm kind of, it's a tool and it's a nice tool and it's a useful tool, but it's not the be all and end all. And, and I'm concerned about us forgetting and losing our humanity with this embrace with this hype over, over AI and, and especially the large language model stuff. And I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tie, tie back the AI to what we've been talking about prior. And that is, do you think that AI um, can be seen as a replacement by some for creativity? I don't need to go through all this creativity uh, mumbo jumbo or whatever they say, because I have AI. Yeah. (laughs) There are people, there are people who think like that. Um, AI really is just copying. Um, It's, it's just copying what it's been fed with. It's not creating anything new. And I think about my art practice and I did a series of paintings a few years ago that incorporated zippers in the, the painting. So I cut the canvas, I sewed a zipper in, you know, I did a bunch of other stuff. And a curator here, I had showed it in an exhibition. And a curator said to me, where did you get that idea? Where did you see that? I'm like, I didn't see it anywhere. I just made it up. Um, I had this idea of what I wanted to do with the painting and something I was trying to show with the, the painting about opening up. I thought, what opens up? Zippers. So I put the zippers in the paintings and AI is never going to come up with that Mm. because it hadn't been done before. So there is a time and a place for AI generated art, but it's not art. It's something else. Um, I don't know what name to call it, but it's not, not art. Um, It's, it's not art. (laughs) And it could just be delivering the same solutions that we're trying to break away from anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Because all it knows is what's gone before. Mm-hmm. So whereas humans, humans will take things and, and put things together. And, and I've heard people say, oh, well, humans are only learning on, you know, going on what they've learned too. And yeah, but people, humans will put them together differently, like me and the zippers in the painting, you know, or the solution that I was talking about with this, this um, company with this organization and the problem they had tried to solve for 10 years came together in the studio for a week and solved it. Mm-hmm. An AI wouldn't do that. An AI would still be 
chugging, turning around on the 10 years, you know, probably be up to 20 years by now. And so, but humans in a week solved it. <laughs> We've got two minutes left. Do you want to take one minute and give a final thought or any final comments on uh, radical knowledge management you'd like to convey? <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but give it a try. It's experiential. It has such a art has such a big impact on on our brain and thus on our organizations, on ourselves, on our resilience, on on everything we do. And it's more important than than we've been led to believe. It really is. Well, yeah, you know, we've all gone to museums. You know, we we've all seen. Uh, paintings or or sculptures or something even walking down the street you can see that kind of stuff so yeah. we, we've we've all seen something creative in our life and we many of us many of us listen to music as well you know and, and have read a book you know or something like that so creativity yeah. is all around us whether we uh understand that or not and you know we have to like, like you described you know we kind of have to take our own blinders off and let ourselves be creative because that's exactly what's being asked of us to do in our daily jobs. Yep. <laughs> be creative. <laughs> be creative. Be innovative. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's interesting that, you know, it, it, we're born creative. We become not so receptive to creativity, but then being asked to be creative. And it, it seems like a strange cycle that we create for ourselves. Yes. Yes, it is. So. Stephanie, thank you very much for joining us today. This was really interesting. And I, uh, I like new ways of thinking and I like, like new ways of presenting things and how to deal with resilience issues and you know, decision-making processes and team building and all those things that uh, we touched on today. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you for having me, Alex. I'm ha so happy to talk with you and share, share all of this with you. So thank you so much. My pleasure. And everyone watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.